0: And welcome to episode number 131 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And with me this week is Elise, who you heard from last week when we were interviewing Helen K. Diamond. This week, Elise and I are talking about hibernation and comfort reads. Elise is moving from one job to another and took a week off between them to decompress. So we talked about what she's reading while she's trying to de-stress, books that really make her happy when she's trying to relax. And we talk a lot about reading and how we read and what we read. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Hot and Bothered, Crystal Green's sexy new romance in the Rough and Tumble series set in the dusty outskirts of Vegas. Download it on March 17th. And we have a sponsor this month for the podcast transcript. If you prefer to read the podcast as opposed to listen to the podcast, that's an option. Also, if you're hearing impaired and can't listen and you want to participate, you can read it. Every month, Garlic Knitter, who is a professional transcriptionist, takes a break from professional transcription and does our very unprofessional podcast. This month, the podcast transcript is being brought to you by Forever, publisher of Once and Always, The sweet and sexy new novel by Elizabeth Hoyt, whose writing is Julia Harper, and that's on sale now. I will have information about Once and Always and Hot and Bothered at the end of the podcast and also in the podcast entry. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater, and you can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. And now, if you're like Elise, grab a blanket, curl up, huddle, get warm, unless it's like 90 degrees Celsius where you are, in which case, find some aircon. And now, on with the podcast. I mean, you have important nothing to be doing right now.
1: I I really do. Um, I mean,
0: you have a lot of nothing on your agenda this week.
1: I would like to point out that I'm wearing flannel owl pajamas. (laughs) I have not taken a shower, and I am wearing a lime green gaming headset. That is fantastic. Yes. So, you know, I'm between jobs intentionally. I uh, quit one job and took a week off, and now I'm going to start my new job. Next week, and so I'm kind of having my uh, mental break in between the two because i i went from one very stressful job to what I think is going to be another very stressful job. So I'm—you like your job? You like you like what you do? Oh, I love what I do. I—I I, I mean, I think you've picked up on the fact just from talking to me over the past couple of years that um, I'm kind of crazy, and uh, I need that stress in my life.
0: But you also like what you do and that you you like the industry that you work in. And even though it's stressful, you enjoy your job.
1: Absolutely. I think my previous job that I did, um, that I'm leaving, that I did for four years, the thing that was stressful with that was that I was always on call, right? Right. And uh, I I worked for a company and I managed about half of our domestic accounts. So... Uh, most of those were were pretty uh, big accounts, and and so you're kind of on call twenty four seven to the customer because I work in transportation, which is a twenty four seven industry. Of course. And I didn't realize it until I think I was putting in my notice that in you know four years I don't think I took a vacation day or a sick day when I didn't work. So I pretty much worked every day for four years. Good God! Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, we even went on vacation in Mexico and I was answering emails in Mexico. So, you know, I've, I'm ready to take a step away from that and and the new job won't be as uh, as much on call, as much um, needing to be available all the time. But it's going. I'm starting up a line of business within a company. So there's going to be, I think, some long days.
0: Yes, but at the same time... You're you're the boss now. I know I have minions. I'm so Ooh, excited. You have your own minions, and you're not all by yourself at a customer's location. You're going to have like a company of people who work on the same company with you.
1: Right, right. It's it's very exciting. But I'm doing my decompression time right now. What
0: can I'm, I don't I don't know how much to ask you about your job. Like, is there anything that you do that you want to talk about in terms of how it relates to what you read?
1: I don't think anything I do really relates to what I read to be honest with you. My job is really not exciting, but I think the only thing that sometimes maybe plays into it is that you know transportation is still a really male dominated industry, mm-hmm. and I am almost always the only woman at the table. I am definitely the youngest person, the blondest person, the littlest person. You know, sometimes I think um I get like testosterone overload, yep. And and that is part of the reason that I turn to romance novels.
0: I remember you telling me that when you had surgery, um, somebody at work was very uncomfortable that you said the word ovary.
1: Right, and as it's a it's a friggin ovary. Yeah, just yeah. What did you have surgery on? Oh my ovary. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, great. But you know, had
0: it been like you know a, a tendon, it would have been fine.
1: It would have been fine. Of course. Um, you know, the thing that always makes me laugh is, and, you know, I'm sure you know this about me, but I have a very foul mouth. I have noticed.
0: <laughs> that, that comes from truckers?
1: No, I think that was just, I, honestly, it's a familial trait that I have inherited. <laughs> um, awesome. But I have a very foul mouth and a very crude sense of humor. And it makes dudes really uncomfortable when someone you know, who is
0: little and blonde and cute lets lets rip with some foul language.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like you know the first time that I'll I'll be in a room with a bunch of these guys and someone will say fuck and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like you know, fuck you and your fucking apology, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time I've heard it, dude. So yeah, um, we work in to, trucking.
0: This just they how tend to we be roll.
1: surprised by my capacity for swearing. And also my capacity for crude joking and inappropriate humor, (laughs) which truthfully, I am completely unprepared to work in any sort of other legitimate industry because transportation is just that's where you curse. It is. And, you know, stuff happens here that does not happen anywhere else. It's like, so what happened at work today? Oh, well, they had to shut down the port because they found a human foot in the salt shed again. Right? Like, that's Ah! my job. Right? There (laughs) was a
0: foot. A foot of snow? No. No, 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 a foot. Like a
1: person's foot.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. So So you work in those places where, uh, like, CSI
1: Yes, I get to visit very not nice places because ports and rail yards generally speaking are not in nice areas of the country. Oh um, my
0: goodness. So you're uh, you're off for a week between ex stressful job and future X stressful but somewhat exciting job.
1: Yes. And you are hibernating for a week. I have been so lazy and slept so much that the cat is starting to look at me like what the hell man. <laughs> this so, is my gig. the whole sleeping
0: thing all day that's my job he now he's worried about his job security
1: he is see you've made him worry and he's going to be pissed because i've worked from home pretty much for the past year and so i'm going to be going back to an office five days a week he's gonna be like what 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 (laughs) your job is to stay home and meet all of my needs (laughs) So what books have you set aside
0: to read during your week of decompression and le- and stress alleviation?
1: Oh, my God. I got so m- – so one of the things um, I've written about for Smart Bitches is that I'm a paperback reader primarily. Yes. And I have like a little fortress of books on like my end table here. My husband was telling me these like you could build a little house out of books in the backyard <laughs> and then you could go live in your little book house. Um, while you're hibernating so as I was uh, like four people just sat up and were like that's a great idea so as I was wrapping up my previous job I had to do some traveling some training I kept going onto Amazon and ordering or Barnes and Noble and ordering books that I wanted to read while I was gone and I would get these text messages from my husband like eight packages just showed up for you like What, what are you, are you building a bomb? What is all of this? So I have this huge stack of books and it's glorious. And I've been really into steampunk lately. I didn't think I would like that. I'm veering into Carrie S territory, but it turns out I really love steampunk and I bought a bunch of steampunk books and I'm having so much fun with them.
0: What is it that you like about steampunk? Because you're primarily a contemporary suspense and historical mystery reader,
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I, you know, I do like some fantasy books, um, but I'm the worst type of fantasy reader because I have zero patience for exposition and info dump, but I want a really rich, immersive world building experience. And I think I just felt like fantasy writers roll over and be like, I hate, I hate when people are like that. Um, I don't want 800 pages to set up the world. And so I think the thing that's awesome with steampunk is it kind of comes. You already know what you're getting into, and each author, obviously, right. their world is slightly different, and um, some are more paranormal, some are more, like, clockwork, and there's, there is world building, but, like, the foundations are already set for me. Right. And so you don't have to spend all of that time necessarily getting to know the world. You can jump right into the story. Plus, you wrote
0: about historical mysteries, and a lot of those are set in the Victorian era. Yes. And so is a lot of steampunk.
1: And a lot of steampunk has... Um, I don't want to say necessarily a mystery element, but but like an action element. It's it's very, um, you know, unlike a historical romance where, you know, the, it, it it's just about sometimes that relationship building. Steampunk usually has a little bit more going on. There's an actions There's, element. Yes, and so that's a lot of fun. I've been reading Beck McMaster's series. I just finished Kiss of Steel, and I'm reading Heart of Iron right now, and it's a really heavily paranormal steampunk world. and um, it's it's set in England an alternate Victorian England. and the uh, the country is run by a group of of people called the Blue Bloods or the echelon. and they're kind of vampirism is caused by a virus in her world. And so when you're infected with the virus, you you're granted you know the supernatural strength and long mm-hmm. life and healing and you have to drink blood, but you're not a true vampire. Um, at some point, after many 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 years they go through a phase where they become a vampire and it's it's like the nosferatu bat faced ugly killing scary vampire and at that point they're they're executed but up until that point basically it's like seven noble houses and all of the vampires are dukes because that's how that works and, because um, of course they are. Of course they're dukes. So they run the show. And so you've got normal human beings who are excluded from being infected with this virus because they don't want common people being infected. And they, they want to keep this power among their group. And the heroine in the book is um, on the lamb from this, this group of powerful vampires. Um, her father was trying to develop a cure for the virus. And that scares them. Because they don't want to be uh, vaccinated out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just made that a verb. Vaccinated out. And, uh, <laughs> and she's, You're going
0: to take our specialness away. No!
1: Exactly. And so she's she's on the run and she's living in Whitechapel. And uh, Whitechapel's run by, he was just a, a normal guy from the slums that one of the, the blue bloods infected. Thinking it would be funny to see what happened when you infected a common person. He oh. got in trouble for it. But now he, he runs um he runs the rookeries and he was the only one who's ever able to drive the echelon out. And so they kind of let him have his peace and he rules over the slums and so he's got a very cockney accent and wears leather pants and is a badass and she has to ally herself with him to keep her family safe. Of course. So, and I wrote in my review: anyone who has ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and had a thing for Spike will love this hero.
0: <laughs> it's sort of like uh, Victorian steampunk Spike.
1: Yes, not he. Uh, he does not bleach his hair, but other than that, dead on.
0: Oh, that's no one's gonna like that. No, no one's gonna like no. that at
1: all. No, that's not a thing.
0: Yeah, of course. So, what else are you reading?
1: My husband and I are reading together a series of books. They're not romance at all, but they're really funny. And they're also steampunk, strangely enough. It's the Johannes Cabal Necromancer series. We're on the most recent book. And um, I think people who really like Neil Gaiman, who really like Terry Pratchett, would like this series. So the first book is Johannes Cabal Necromancer. And it's a steampunk kind of paranormal world, but it's very dry. It's kind of satire. It's incredibly funny. Um, so Johannes Cabal is a necromancer and there's a good reason for him being a necromancer you find out later on. But the first book opens, he sold his soul to the devil for, um, to get ahead kind of in his, his quest to be able to bring someone truly, truly back from the dead, not like a zombie, but like restore them to life. And he realizes that in order to do his work, he actually needs his soul back. So he goes to hell and he goes to the devil and he's like, so I know I sold you my soul and everything, but I kind of need it back now. And the devil's like, what? Because that just doesn't happen. He's like, no, really, I, I need it back now. Like, we need to come to some kind of agreement so I can get my soul back. And Johannes Cabal is this very dry, acerbic character who is completely unimpressed by everything. Mm-hmm. And chaos is always going around on around him. He's kind of like the straight man to the entire world the author has built. And it's just really, really funny and so the first book is he has to complete these tasks um, in order to get his soul back to continue his research. And he's just very like kind of put out like, fine, this is delaying my science, but fine. all right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and they are, they're just, the author's voice is just wonderful. And those are and, books that
0: you guys have in common. Like you're both reading those. Yes.
1: Yes. We are reading those together. I'm actually reading them out loud.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, so my husband is dyslexic. Um and he it takes him forever to to read a book. And so he loves audiobooks, um Audible, all of that stuff. A lot of times we'll find a book that we're both interested in and I will read out loud. We'll read it together that way. So That's it's really a, it's, cool. It's like a it's like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's two of us all cuddled up in bed, the cat, and we're reading. Um <laughs> I think I just got sick. Yeah. <laughs> But like there was a lot and, – and it's one of those books that I'm having a hard time reading out loud because I keep having to stop to laugh. Like there's a point where he's describing these zombies crossing – this horde of zombies, this army crossing the river to get to him, to destroy him. But they're not particularly bright and also not excellent at swimming. And so – they they're the ones that are kind of bloated from the putrefication process are just floating away down the river with bewildered expressions. And he describes it like floaty toys designed to traumatize small children. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just they're really funny books. So there's four books in the series now. And for a while, they were actually kind of hard to get in the United States. And I think finally they, um, they finally picked they picked up were made on the available. fact that people people really liked these books. Uh, let me see who the author is. I think it's Jonathan L. Howard. And uh, we've read the first three, and they are. They're just really very funny, excellent books. And the author breaks the fourth wall. He talks to the reader in little footnotes, too. And uh, if if you like, like I said, like Guyman or Pratchett or any of those authors that have a voice kind of like that where they really play on the absurd mm-hmm. and, and are cynical, it's definitely, definitely a good choice. Yeah, Jonathan L. Howard is the author.
0: That's awesome. So what – do you find particularly restorative when you're looking for a book that is going to be soothing? What are you looking for?
1: It really depends on my mood. I mean, it it changes quite a bit. Um I've been reading like I said a lot of steampunk and a lot of romantic suspense but adventure, action adventure, romantic suspense. I hmm. bought um all of L Kennedy's Killer Instinct books and I've been working my way through those. And those are books where it's a group of mercenaries who are all dudes. Of course. Right. And a group of, like, spies, assassins who are all ladies. And in each book, you know, one pairing of them has to kind of work together to save the world. And, of course, in the process, they, you know, they fall in love. But the nice thing about the books is is that the, the female characters are also very, very interesting and dynamic. And, um,
0: and they do and stuff. Tough.
1: And they do stuff. Yeah, like, one of the books, the the female character is a like a master of disguise like that's her whole thing she's really good at changing her appearance and her mannerisms and she's like a chameleon and you know she can go from place to place and people won't recognize her and the dude in that book is more um if i'm remembering correctly he's more of a like a tech guy where he's not he's still very tough but he's not like the guy walking around with no shirt and a shoulder fire rocket of course
0: Aside from the steampunk, what did you buy? Like, what are the things that you bought and what made you buy them?
1: Oh my God. What made me buy them? Um, I was up at like one in the morning in a caffeine and Amazon fueled fugue state. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. So, what did I, I bought all of L. Kennedy's Killer Instinct series. Um, I have the first two books by Kate Roos, and I think it's Roos I think it's US. Reyes. Reyes. Okay. So she's got Targeted and then um, it's the first book. And that's – I'm really excited to read that because the hero actually changes his face like he's had surgery. Oh. So you wouldn't – it makes me think a little bit of um, Face Off. Do you remember that movie? Yes, I do. It was really horrible. But so that's – it's a Deadly Ops is the series. So I've got Targeted. I've got Bound to Danger. um I bought uh, – I, I normally don't go into the paranormal, but in my fugue state, I picked up a book called Her Perfect Mate by Paige Tyler. It's an X ops series, and it's like adventure, romantic suspense, but also shapeshifters.
0: Well, shifters so he- are good for that.
1: Right. So the hero is a feline shifter. Of course. Um, and the hero is like a – cia type um spy so she's got kind of i think a one-up on him because you know she can turn into a cat and eat your face of course are there any orcas there are no orcas i'm taking a break <sighs> from my pity, pity pity no or- you know what i think an orca shifter in that situation so that would be a really limiting animal to change into because, like, what would you do? Like, people be shooting, and you'd be, like, in the middle of a warehouse, and boom, you're an orca, and now you're screwed because you're just flopping around on the floor of the warehouse. I mean, aside from scaring people, that'd be, like, the worst animal to train, turn into.
0: So how do romances and reading help you with stress? Is this, because I know for me, reading is the only time when I do one thing. and any other time, I'm doing at least three things. Sometimes yes. four things at the same time.
1: Yes, and I am exactly that person.
0: So, for example, in the evening, I am helping someone with their homework, cooking dinner, packing lunches, feeding the the zoo, and I'm doing all of these things concurrently. And that's a habit. Like, I know how to layer that work so that it get, things get done while I'm doing other things. Reading is the only time where I'm ever doing just one thing. And I don't – I mean, I should count – petting a cat and reading as two things but they just they kind of blend into one thing because if you read and pet a cat it's not like you know competing energies they all go no. together
1: and that's why we had to get our cat because i realized my cat to book ratio was severely off
0: yeah you you must attend you must attend to that ratio so right. when i'm reading it is it is for me like plugging my cell phone into the charger it is what sort of refills my batteries, and I and I can go do four other things again for an hour.
1: Yes, yeah, I am exactly the same way. Like I cannot sit and watch TV or watch a movie and and do nothing. I have oh no, to knitting or and and um you know kind of drives my husband nuts because I'll be constantly be getting up and doing stuff, and he's like, we're watching a movie, and I'm like, I know, I'm watching the movie. I'm I'm watching it too. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but you're right, with reading,' it's, it's downtime, and I think for me, it's, it, it occupies my whole brain. I can't read and think about other stuff that's going on or worry about other stuff or be doing the grocery list in my head because I have to devote all of my mental energy to reading. Um, whereas if, like again, using the watching TV or knitting or any uh, working out, you know, mentally I can be somewhere else. Totally. And so in that respect, it's really restorative. The other thing um, that we've talked about a little bit on the site is that I have fibromyalgia. And so I will go through periods of time where I'm in enough pain that I can't do the other things that I want to do. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I get a lot of hand pain. And so a lot of the crafting that I want to do, I just – I can't. I don't have the manual dexterity. Right. And, but reading is always there. Um I've never felt so awful I couldn't read. And so it's it's kind of like you're my little safe haven.
0: I notice also when I'm watching TV and I'm cross-stitching, it's as if the 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 stitching or the, the crafting occupies the sort of manic Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain. What are yes. you doing? Let's go do a thing. Why are we sitting yes. here? Why are we sitting here? Are we sitting here? We shouldn't be sitting here. It yeah. occupies my easily distracted part of my brain. Whereas... Reading occupies both my desire to enjoy a book, but also uh, if it's a good book, the Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain is totally on board.
1: Yes. Isn't that yes. weird? No, I don't know. I'm the exact same way. I don't um, sit well. I think we, I was emailing you like a crazy person after I had surgery this summer. Like, I can go back to work now, right? I can go back to work. I can't sit here anymore. Why nope. am I in bed rest? I can go back to work. Let me go back to work. What do you think?
0: Sit down, dumbass.
1: Yes, yes. They just cut open my abdomen. I'm fine. I can go back to work. Um, I have to have, I have to be mentally occupied, not necessarily physically occupied, but definitely mentally occupied. And breathing, it really does that. And, you know, from the fibro perspective, when I'm having um, a lot of pain, it also mentally distracts me from just sitting there thinking about the fact that I don't feel well. And Especially think, the action, because there's going to be adrenaline in what you're reading. Yes. Although i found when I'm feeling really, really crappy, I want, like, big, cushy, happy historicals that have giant circus tent skirts on the cover. And... <laughs> I need big skirt books now! Big skirt yes. books! Stat! <laughs> yes. And... Uh, so it depends on the mood. Sometimes I want the action and sometimes I just want like a garden party in, uh, you know, in London somewhere and a bunch of dukes walking around in tight pants. Yep. And
0: I, I don't know what it is exactly about historicals that can be so comforting. I think it's partially the distance of time. Like the idea of once upon a time, a long ass time ago is when this happened. So there's this distance in it and it sort of adds a, a layer to it that is much more functional as a comfort read for me. But I also find that when I'm really, really miserable about something, reading older Carla Kelly regencies works really well. And they are, there's a lot of them set in war. So I'm reading about like the Napoleonic War in Spain, walking around with characters and I find it incredibly immersive and I come out of it because it's they're, they're not that long. I finish the book and I just I feel so much better and I'm like that was weird.
1: Yeah, reading I about think war. for me <laughs> it's kind of like the comfort of a really organized room right where everything matches because when you're yes. reading historical romances it's we're not going into oh and then, you know, Mrs. So-and-so in the kitchen had a horrible hacking cough that day because of the black lung, right? Like yep. everything is clean and pretty and and you're cutting out all of the, the kind of mundane and, and unpleasant reality from the situation.
0: And there's right? rules and right. you know what's going to happen within those rules.
1: Like, I always, in my mind, in when I'm reading historical romance, everything is, like, very brightly lit and colorful and pretty. <laughs> and there's been an interior decorator there. And it doesn't look like my house where, you know, there's crap piled on the table that needs to be sorted through. It's, like, everything is in its place perfectly. And to yep. me, that's, like, very mentally, very mentally restorative.
0: There is an order. And it, yes. And the order is part of the, the world building. Exactly. Whether it's a social order or an order of events, there's there's a there is a sequence and a boundary that will be respected.
1: I think it, and it's part of the escapism. I don't know if it was you and I or someone else who's having a conversation. I was really put out in my romance novel that the heroine was talking about her period, not because I'm grossed out by discussing periods, but because in my world when we're in romance novel land there are no menstrual cramps. <laughs>
0: That would never bother me. It would be the language that she used if it didn't fit her character. Like, the biggest thing that yanks me out of a story is unrealistic dialogue or dialogue that is a plot point as opposed to something that someone would really say. I was reading something, and I forget what it was, and there was this guy. It was a male character. and He said something about a quaint little chapel in a village, and I was like, there's no dude that says that.
1: I challenge you to find a dude who says quaint.
0: Quaint little. It was like no, and it and it was it was the it was the way that he was talking about the building that he was in. Like he was describing it to people who were standing in it with him. He wasn't describing it to people who weren't there. They he had to label it even though they could all see it. And I was like, "This is just layers of not right." No, and then I was all pissy because I'm very demanding apparently.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that continuity is. Uh is important. I hate that when a character starts talking in a way that's or behaving in a way that's totally out of character and you've you've been building up to this thing the whole story and then you're like who is this person? What have they done with him? You know, it's like the pod people came for him.
0: That realization of love came very quickly. We're only on page 4.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you have your comfort reads with you now, you have steampunk, historicals. Is there anything that you find completely not fitting with your desire for comfort reads? Like what are the things that you're not going to look at?
1: I don't read a lot of suspense um, when I'm looking for comfort reads just because I think uh, it goes down a darker path for me. For me, when I I will get emotional hangovers from books. Mm -hmm. um, I mean it can really influence my mood profoundly. And so if I'm reading a book where very bad things have happened to people – that that'll kind of hang with me for a couple of days. And that's not really what I'm looking for. I have to be in the mood for that.
0: I understand that book hangovers that, you know, are going to affect you that way are, are very difficult.
1: And we were talking about um, book catharsis, like looking for books specifically that make you cry. Yeah.
0: uh, Redheaded girl brought that up in the last podcast recording. What are the books that you can read that, we're, that will let you cry it all out. If you need yes. catharsis, where are you going? That's a different kind of comfort. Catharsis and comfort are totally different things.
1: Yeah, I'm looking more for comfort right now than catharsis, but I've definitely gone down that path with books before. Jane Austen is really high on my comfort reads list, again, because everything feels kind of neat and structured. Yeah,
0: there are rules and codes.
1: And also I've read them a million times, so even mentally the energy that it takes – Going into reading them, I think, is, is less than if, if I had never read those books before. Yep. Are there certain books that you reread a lot? I almost never reread. Really? Uh, really. Oh, yeah, they're interesting. There are a couple books that I will reread, like Jane Austen is one of them. There's a handful that I've gone back at different points in my life and read, and the meaning of the book has really changed for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I always use is Jane Eyre, right? So I think I read that when I was 15 Mm -hmm. um, for the first time and reading that when you're 15 and then reading it as an adult, two totally different things. Totally. You know, I mean, I remember when I read it in high school being like, I don't Why? of course you put your crazy wife in the attic. What else are you going to do with her? (laughs) That makes perfect sense. Why are you so upset? I'm missing all the subtext here. And then as an adult (laughs) reading them and being like, Oh boy, this is really very problematic. That's not good. Um, I in I read when I was like middle school early high school I read all of my mom's James Bond books by Ian Fleming and I loved them and then I reread them years later and I was like what holy, holy misogyny batman <laughs> I, like this is nope I completely went that on that is
0: messed up
1: he's not a good person at all in those He's a
0: he is a mess
1: he is a mess. He's a deeply messed up man. Uh, <laughs> but no, I almost never reread. All of my books kind of get, because I, again, I read paperback. All of my books kind of get recycled out. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm done reading them, they they either go to the used bookstore or to friends or somewhere. Um, so my house is kind of like a constant in-processing, out-processing of stacks of books.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine too. I, I know that pain.
1: And I wish I could read digitally because it's it's easier. But for me, again, I think, one, there's the mental neatness. It's harder for me to keep track of stuff on a device as opposed to when I have the physical um, yeah, copy of the book. But the other thing for me is that uh, one of the things with, with fibro is that you have a hard time sleeping. Your sleep patterns are irregular and... Um, It can be difficult falling asleep or staying asleep. And I found I have to have time at the end of the day where I am not looking at a screen. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's e-ink or anything like that. I cannot be looking at a device that is plugged in because it's harder for me to shut off my brain and go to sleep after that. So I have to have that paper copy of a book in my hand, Mm -hmm. um, which I read, you know, usually before I go to bed for a while. I completely
0: understand that. I have um – I've read on devices for a while now, and I have a program on my phone, which is what I use to read predominantly now, called Twilight, that takes the red, or excuse me, takes the blue out of the screen, which is part of what stimulates your brain, the blue light. Mm -hmm. So I have it on my computer and I have it on my phone. But even then, I will make myself turn off all the screens before I'm about to go to sleep, because otherwise it just, it wakes part of your brain up.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think for me too, I... I look at a screen all day and I don't want to at the end of the day. I want to be unscreened and I have to, I'm trying very hard to keep myself from looking at my phone all of the time because I am one of those people. I've become the staring at your phone nonstop and not experiencing the world around you person. Yep. So I've been working on on that. Now I have a Dewey cat. He says, hi, I want to be on the podcast.
0: Hi Dewey. My cat is sitting right here. She's very quiet though.
1: He's. I'm, I'm on his new blanket where he lives now and we can come and visit him and he's happy to see us, but this is his blanket and get off. And yes, he lives here.
0: Thank you. He's very upset. (laughs) So are there any books that you would recommend to people that you've read I mean, it's only – it's it's short into your into your week of, week of quiet and comfort. But is there anything that you've read that you want to recommend to people?
1: Definitely the Beck McMaster series if you mm-hmm. like steampunk. I also started reading a series called Bannon and Claire by Lilith St. Crow. And um, they're not strictly romance. There's a romance arc that continues through the, the three books. But it's about – um, a sorcerer. It's a steampunk world, and the the woman is a sorceress, mm-hmm. and the man is um, a mentat, which is like a basically like a human computer. He's just like that smart. He's kind of a a Sherlock Holmes character a little mm-hmm. bit, um, where he's a little bit dysfunctional in his everyday life because he has a hard time. You know, he's always seeing patterns, and um, and his brain kind of functions solely on logic. So things that are irrational throw him for a loop, basically because the, the industrial revolution did not take place. They rely on these, these mentats to do all, basically all the, the computation that you need to, you know, the economy and for shipping and all kinds of things. And someone is going around killing them off. And so she is hired by the queen to find this guy. He's one of the remaining few and keep him safe. And then the two of them have to figure out who's committing these murders. Right. Cool. The thing about Lilith St. Crow, though, that I think is a little weird that I've noticed from her other books is that she just kind of throws you into the world and doesn't necessarily explain things. Mm-hmm. And so you feel a little bit like you're going by the seat of your pants as you're reading and eventually things start to make sense. But she never really breaks from the storytelling to be like, and this is what that is. Yeah. Let me describe it to you.
0: Are you going to read the new Jennifer McQuiston series?
1: Of course. Actually, I just got my shipping notification from Amazon. That book is
0: Ooh. on its way. Are you excited?
1: I am very excited. And Laura Lee Gerke has a new series I want to read to about American heiresses. There's two books in the series already published and the third one just came out. And uh, they're about uh, American heiresses in London looking for um, basically like a titled husband to go with all of their money as you do – And so that's kind of exciting to me because I watched a series on the Smithsonian Channel called, I think it was like Million Dollar Heiresses or something. It was a nonfiction series about all of the very wealthy American nouveau riche women who went to England and really propped up the aristocracy Mm -hmm. because they had no money. Right. And I did did not know that Winston Churchill's mother was an American. And that was the situation um, in his family. I did not realize.
0: Well, I mean – that whole idea of um, marrying a American for to secure the fortune was one of the things that I really liked about the Wallflower, Wallflower Quartet by Lisa Kleypas mm-hmm. because that's Lillian's setup. She's very, very wealthy and she, I'm not impressed at all by other people in London.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to find the first book in this series. Hang on one second because I'm Googling here. Um, where the the heroine is British and her job is, oh, it's called How to Lose a Duke in 10 Days. And her job is basically that, are she British or American? She's established in London and her job is that these heiresses come over and she prepares them for how to move in these social circles and um, how to behave to basically land a a rich, or a a titled husband. And the hero is a duke that is kind of a rogue or a, uh, scoundrel, and she wants nothing to do with him, and um, wants to kind of keep him away from her girls. So it's a little bit of she's very buttoned down and proper, and kind of working within the rules of society. And he is not at all that way. And uh, it's a, it's a one of the many scoundrel dukes Aww. that were hanging around Regency London in that time. Uh, so that, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that one. The one that just came out is To Catch a Falling Heiress.
0: And that's by Laura Lee Gerge. To Catch a Falling Heiress. I hate when they fall out of trees like that.
1: But they have those big skirts, so it poofs out like an umbrella, like in Winnie the Pooh. And then you just <laughs> drift down very slowly.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. That works every time.
1: Much right.
0: like if someone's on the fourth floor of a building and you stretch a blanket out between four people. That totally works as a trampoline. <sighs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That does not lead to a compound fracture.
0: Oh, no, don't be silly. (laughs) Well, with yeah, go ahead.
1: There's a book that has been getting a lot of press, and I'm kind of interested in reading it called The Girl on the Train. I have seen this everywhere. But it's one of those where it's like, oh, am I going to like it or am I going to hate it because it got all this attention and it's going to suck? But it's kind of a psychological suspense, which I like. Yeah,
0: it's sort of Gone Girl style. Have you read the synopsis of it?
1: I have, and I've read Gone Girl, and I actually really liked Gone Girl.
0: You Um, might really like this. Hi, Dewey. You might really, really like it then, from what I understand. I mean, this is not my type of book, but... It plays with the idea of uh, culpability and the extremely unreliable narrator in a way that you might really
1: like. And there are, there's a series of thrillers by an author called, um, Linwood Barclay, uh, Fear the Worst, I think, is my favorite that he wrote. And he writes those psychological suspense books where something weird happens. Um, In Fear the Worst, it's this man who his 17-year-old daughter is living with him for the summer. They're divorced, and she goes back and forth between mom and dad. And she's getting ready for work. She works at a hotel at, like, the front desk and she never comes home from work and he's starting to get worried and he goes there to see if she got there safely and they're like we've we've never heard of your daughter what are you talking about and his daughter goes missing but everything that happens compounds the story in a way like something is definitely wrong and he's not getting the whole truth and you start to wonder is this guy just nuts or you know what's going on but he and he does that with all of his books where you reach this point where you think there's no way he can resolve this and have the main character maintain his sanity. But he always does. And at the end you're like, holy shit, that really did all fall together and make sense. And they're not books where there's necessarily a lot of danger present physically, um, you know, in the moment, but it's it's that psychological something weird is happening here and I can't make sense of it. And, you know, people are maybe being dishonest with me that those books are really fun to read if you're if you're in the suspense mood, and that's the kind of stuff I really like, as opposed to like the serial killer breathing down the back of your
0: neck. <laughs> yeah, that utterly not my thing. But when you talk about it, I'm like, oh, that sounds, that sounds kind of cool.
1: And they're like crack because you get far enough into there where you have to resolve the story,
0: right? Right. Like, you can't it, not figure this out. You have to figure exactly. It
1: out. Exactly.
0: Especially if it's been twisty enough and you know there's more twists, you can't stop presuming that you know the end because you're wrong.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) And they're very clever in in how, you know, he he paces, I think, um, that you you have a hard time even finding a a good spot to put the book down. Do you like um, sort of whimsy stories, like whimsical journeys and things like that? Not really. Um, You know, I'm reading – soulless by gail carringer carringer yeah. and that's that's steampunk but for me it's missing kind of that grittiness that i like it's almost a little too too whimsical
0: yep i was wondering because it sounds like you and i have similar tastes except that i like whimsy and you like gritty yes
1: like i wanted to take i i imagine like a very dirty cold dusty london in in my steampunk. I want my historicals to be very, everything's very clean and nobody gets tuberculosis. And I want my steampunk to be kind of, and my mysteries to be kind of gritty. Oh, and Eloisa James has a new book coming out.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: I'm so excited. And I'm doing kind of, I know you've talked about this. I have this thing where even if I get an arc um, of the book fairly early on, I hold off reading it until it's close to um, the publication because if i love that book i'm going to squeal all over the place on twitter on facebook and then it's just like you're a jerk because other people want to read that book and they can't and they can't and delaying
0: and wanna... the squee is not good either
1: no and you want to talk to other people about you want to do good book noise together yes
0: good book noise when it's like a humble brag good book noise that does yes. no good when it's like i read this book and it's so great and you can't no that's that's not going to work
1: no, and a friend just sent me a book, too, um, by Mary, is it Balog? Balog, yeah. Right yeah. with Balog. Seducing the Angel. What? And, yeah, I think that's the title. Hang on a second. Yeah, Seducing an Angel. It's part of the Huxtable Quintet. So it's an older book of hers, but she said that I would absolutely adore the hero in this book. Ooh. And um, I'm very big on heroes that you adore so we both like the same television show that the mentalist because we both think simon baker's adorbs and i also like kind of the the reformed trickster um con man uh rogue hero and that's who this guy is and i'm very excited to start it and i'm pacing myself because i know i'm gonna have to start this one when i can read it straight through it's, it's one of those that I'm not probably going to put down because I tend to read historicals in one big bite. I don't know if you do that too. Like I can put down suspense and I can put down steampunk and stuff, but for historicals, I tend to just plow my way through it.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. No question. I'm the same way. I am going to start reading, is it England's Perfect Scoundrel or England's Perfect Hero? An older Suzanne Enoch book that I found on Scrib that I'm really excited to read. I've been saving it for vacation. But I have to read it at a time when I won't be interrupted because if I'm reading a historical and I'm interrupted, I get really, really, pee- I don't want to come back to the present. I'm in the past. Please piss off and leave me alone. And I, and if I'm interrupted, I just get ornery.
1: Oh, yeah, I am 100% with you. And I have to make sure I'm not doing it too close to bedtime too because yep. then I will be up till 3 in the morning. I make terrible reading choices. <laughs> which is why you guys see messages and emails from me at three thirty in the morning because <laughs> I, I am still awake. I cannot tell you the number of times I have had to like muscle through a day with a lot of coffee because I stayed up all night reading and it turns out you can't call into work for that reason, right? <laughs> It'd be pretty sweet if you'd be like, hey, I was going to come in today, swear to God, but I was reading this book and it was really good and I didn't sleep last night. No, no, that, the people are
0: not understanding about that. People are not understanding about that choice, and I don't get it.
1: But fortunately for me, in my industry, being male-dominated, I can just call up with female problems, so they don't want any. Like they don't want to know. <laughs> I had a cream. Okay, okay. Yep. Nope. Don't come in. What do you, what do you need off? Like a month? Is that, how long? <laughs> Is that enough?
0: <laughs> just, just don't say ovary.
1: Just don't. Whatever you do, do not say ovary yeah, it cracks me up. <laughs> sometimes I feel walking around the office like my ovaries and and uterus are so powerful because they terrify the everyone demons. around you it's like I have the secret nuclear weapon in, in my belly Right.
0: <laughs> I remember we did a discussion about what book would you call in sick to work on its release day
1: Yes, like I
0: oh I had a bad burrito. I'm gonna stay home on Tuesday. <laughs> it's yeah, like... it's
1: new book Tuesday diarrhea. I yes, think is like the name of it because
0: new book Tuesday bad burrito.
1: <laughs> exactly, but but there are those and it, and um, you know Avon and a lot of the historical publishers put their books out on Tuesdays and it's awful. It's like do it on Friday, you guys. Come on. Oh, it's always have Tuesday. Cons- consideration for us. New
0: releases have uh, been on Tuesday for a long time and what's horrible is that some bookstores, if they have too many new releases on a Tuesday, they have to start shelving them a little bit early. Yep. And so you'll go in and be like, "I got this book," and other people will be like, oh, "I hate you."
1: Yep, I was at Barnes & Noble yesterday and I saw they had a couple um couple books out a day a day or two early. early. Yep. Yeah.
0: Whereas if you order the digital version, sometimes it shows up at like twelve oh one AM on the day of release.
1: And you forget that you ordered it. Oh so yes, it's, it's, it's like a the gift prize ever.
0: A gift from your past self. It's there a, was there was yeah. a book on sale, Fool Me Once or Fool Me Twice, whichever it was, by Meredith Duran. was on pre order sale for a dollar ninety nine. Something like six months in advance. And I was like, Y'all, buy this for yourself. And then come March, the book shows up. You're going to be like, wow, I am the greatest person ever. Thank you, me. You're welcome.
1: I love opening those packages because it's like, I don't remember. Oh, there goes my productivity. Yes. like right?
0: Oh, oh, th- this, I did do this to myself. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. So I'm not getting anything done today. <laughs> awesome. Woo-hoo!
0: That is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Elise for taking the time to talk to me and good luck at your new position, Elise. Future podcasts will include me talking to people about romance. Also Jane. I'm also working on an upcoming interview about 12th century romantic poems and the origination of those poems during the 12th century, which should be interesting because history, right? History and romance, always good. This podcast has been brought to you by Intermix. Publisher of Hot and Bothered, Crystal Green's Sexy New Romance in the Rough and Tumble series set in the dusty outskirts of Vegas, downloaded on March 17th. And this month, we are very happy to have a podcast transcript sponsor who is helping underwrite the costs of our transcripts. Every podcast gets an accompanying transcript with all of the details and many, many words added to Garlic Knitter's on-base dictionary in her Microsoft Word because we say weird things. And this podcast transcript and all of the transcripts this month will be brought to you by Forever, publisher of Once and Always, the sweet and sexy new novel by Elizabeth Hoyt writing as Julia Harper. And that's on sale now. Our music in every episode is provided by Sassy Outwater who is truly excellent. The music that you are listening to and hopefully I'm helping you feel mellow is by Three Milestone, and this song appropriately is called Snug in the Blanket. You can find out more about them at their website or on iTunes. As always, every book that we discussed will be featured in the podcast entry, along with our sponsors for the transcript and for the podcast. Any attention you pay to any of those books is much appreciated. But if you're like, no, I want to tell you about a different book, you should email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com you have ideas, questions, interview suggestions, you want to recommend a book, you want us to recommend a book, you want to tell us what we should be doing, that's totally cool! Totally email us, please. And in the meantime, on behalf of Elise and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.